0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Are y'all enjoying the lessons that we're learning so far from the book of Acts and from the early church? Awesome. Well, we are just continuing this study, and I hope and I pray that you have been navigating and working through these lessons and seeing how the Lord wants them to apply to your life. Tonight, we're going to kind of walk through an interesting passage. If you know anything about Acts chapter 5, the first part is kind of a really scary part. You have this idea of uh, Ananias and Sapphira who lie to God. They lie to the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit, God kills them. Now, I'm not going to unpack that tonight, unfortunately. (laughs) We're going to walk through another part of the passage that I think is very critical but just think about all that we've learned so far. Think about the lessons that the Lord has taught us. You know, lesson one, we started out in Acts chapter one. We, we talked about this truth that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Our second week, we learned that the Holy Spirit empowers humanity to accomplish the work of God. Lesson three was a God-centered community community is unified. Lesson four is the message that can stand trial. And I love what Ross preached on last week, and I hope it was a blessing to you. Now, if you're just joining us tonight, we've been walking through the book of Acts, and we have learned so much. We've seen Jesus' Jesus's final words in his ascension. Remember Acts 1.8, he said, "...but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes." And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We saw the promise of the Holy Spirit arrive on the scene. The miracle of tongues. Peter's first sermon where 3,000 people were saved. We saw and experienced the supernatural unity and generosity among the members of the church. The lame beggar that was healed in chapter 4. And now we are here in chapter 5 where we see the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira. And then we see God moving and working in their midst. What we're going to do tonight is real simple. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Is that okay? All right, we're going to read through scripture and we're just going to make some observations and we're going to figure out what kind of lesson we can learn really from Acts chapter 5, verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter. And so we're going to be in the scripture just simply seeing how God is moving and working, and then we will jump into what this lesson could be for us. So look with me in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in in Solomon's portico, None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, so that they would even carry out the sick into the streets and laid them out on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people who gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with them, that is the party of the Sadducees, and were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Let's stop and just pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. Lord, we come to you and we beg you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that the words of, of our mouths and the meditations of our heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Lord, take this time, move in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit fill this place and fill us so that we can walk away transformed and renewed in our minds to the reading of your word. In your name we pray, amen. So we see this amazing thing. The wonders and miracles were taking place by Peter and the apostles. Even so much so, do you, isn't that kind of crazy to think about what he said? They would bring the sick and the needy out just so that Peter's shadow would fall on them. Now, I don't think Peter was out there saying, hey, everybody, I've got a really cool shadow. Y'all should allow me to just my shadow to pass over you. I don't think that's what was happening at all. I think that the individuals that were watching the works of God were so inspired by what God was doing. They thought, even if, maybe what if, his shadow flowed over us, could it heal us? And that's sometimes what happens. And I think really when we look at it, that's really the first observation that we need to look at tonight. And it's really, really an amazing observation. The work of the Holy Spirit will captivate people. The work of the Holy Spirit will captivate people. Now, normally you will see the work of the Holy Spirit as it moves in the lives of people today, it moves them in in mighty ways. But I see basically two responses, and I think they're here in this passage. And what we see first is a positive response. So we have this positive response where the multitudes were being added to the church daily. And it says in these multitudes, it was both men and women. And it says that they were so inspired and so awestruck by what was happening through the apostles that they would bring their sick to see the apostles. And I love what verse 16 says. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I think that word is all is important. See, when you see the work of the Holy Spirit moving and working in amazing ways, it touches all people in one way or the other. When... One commentator that I was listening to, Jay Vernon McGee, he's an old guy. He preached through the Bible. He did some amazing work. But he talked about this uh, this verse of Scripture in a way. He says, you know, the the faith healers of today, the people that go around and saying, I have the gift and the the gift of healing, they only heal, they only try to heal one or two people. When the Holy Spirit's involved, He heals all people. Isn't that an, an interesting thing to think about? I just think it's amazing to think that God heals all people. They had this positive response to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, not only do we see a positive response to the work of the Holy Spirit, but we also see a negative response. And I want you to think about the group of people that we see this negative response from. It says, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, They were filled with what? What's that say right there? Jealousy. So much so that they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So you see this negative response. Now, what's amazing is the high priest would be the most spiritually mature person in the Jewish faith. The high priest was the individual, the only man, that could go into the Holy of Holies with the, the blood of the sacrifice and be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and be there to do ministry in the presence of God. But yet, in the midst of the work of the Holy Spirit, he did not see God moving, he saw competition. He was captivated by the work of the Holy Spirit, but he was captivated in a negative sense because what he saw was the fame that was coming around the apostles because of the work of the Holy Spirit was taken away from his platform, was taken away from his influence. And all of the religious leaders came around so much so that they were filled with jealousy. This idea of jealousy is envy, that they wanted what the apostles had. They were contentious. They were wanting to build and bring up strife. And so when we see this response, it's a negative response. Now, don't you think, I know y'all are holy people. Don't you think that you would be excited about some people being healed, no matter who healed them? Yeah, you, th- you think so? Like, they, can you imagine seeing somebody that could not walk from birth and yet they were healed and then somebody else getting mad about it. That's what was happening here. Does that not sound ridiculous? I'm just going to say this, and if it's, it's me, if it's just me, maybe it's just me. Sometimes I can find myself in the place of the Pharisee, and I get jealous when I see the Lord moving in somebody's life and not in my life. I know that's not y'all, that's me, but that's just, I'm just being honest. I'm just transparent to a fault. <laughs> But sometimes when we see God moving in mighty and miraculous ways in somebody's life, we want that for ourselves and it leads to jealousy. The work of the Holy Spirit captivates people. That's that's the first observation that we need to see. We see that it brings a positive response. We see that it brings a negative response. Now, we've got a lot of passages to cover, so we're going to continue on. The next observation that I want you to to focus in on is that the Lord works miracles on behalf of the faithful. The Lord works miracles on behalf of the people, of the faithful. Look what happens in verse 19. Uh, Let's go back to verse 18. What happened to the apostles? They were filled with jealousy. These individuals that had the power, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord came upon the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered into the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and there were those that were there with him, they called together the council All the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. And so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Think about this. You have people that are captivated both positively and negatively by the work of the Holy Spirit and then immediately you see those in power had this negative response but yet the Holy Spirit God moves on behalf of the faithful. This is how he moved. They were in prison behind locked doors, behind guards an angel of the Lord came upon the doors and brought them out of the prison and didn't just try to do it secretly. He brought them out and said, hey, Now that you're set free, I need you to go back to the temple. You know where where you were when they arrested you, and I want you to go back doing exactly what you were doing. Isn't it amazing to think that when you are right in the will of the Lord, that that the Lord is there and He is going to work on your behalf? I think about the young adults that are on the the project right now in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. I can't wait until October 25th when we're going to hear the reports of how the Lord moved on their behalf. See, what you need to understand is this is not a story from our past that has no bearing on the present. What happens in Acts can happen today. Why? Because God does not change you need to understand that if you are faithful, that God moves on your behalf in mighty ways. And I think if we're honest, we've seen the Lord move and work on our lives even when we're not that faithful. So think about it. They were in prison, locked up, wondering what was next, and an angel set them free. The Lord works miracles on behalf of the faithful. Here's the third observation I want us to look at the faithful obey the Lord over the world. Look at Acts chapter 5 starting in verse 27. It says, "And when they had brought them, they set before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, "We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. yet here you have been f- uh, filled here, here, uh, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our Father raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as the leader and Savior and gave repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given us to those who obey him. The faithful obey the Lord over the world. That one sentence in verse 29 says, We must obey God rather than men. Now, understand that this is not too long after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most likely, this was the same high priest that put Jesus to death, who worked it all out. So you know somewhere in the apostles' minds, they were thinking, hey, this may be it for us. They killed Jesus. We're certainly not Jesus. They can kill us. But what is their response? We must obey God rather than men. In the face of the spiritual leaders of that day, They were willing to say, I don't care about what you're saying. I must obey God. See, when we look at this, it's amazing to me to see that the faithful obey the Lord over the world. And I have to to think that we have to still have that posture today. And what does that look like? I don't know. But the faithful will obey the Lord over the world. Next observation, number four, that we see from this text is this. The faithful will experience suffering. And see, this is where being a Christian is not necessarily great. (laughs) Because I just told you that the faithful will experience suffering. And what are we trying to do here in young adult ministry? What are we trying to do here at the church? Is we're trying to create and help you to be more what? Faithful. So Ben, you're telling me if I do what the church is asking me to do, I become more faithful that I'm going to experience suffering. Yes. Yes, I am. Now, I don't know what that suffering may look like. I don't necessarily think it's this type of suffering, but I believe that the faithful will experience suffering. Look at verse 33. It says, and when they heard this, that's the Sadducees. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to what? Kill them. Just because they said, We are going to preach in the name of Jesus, we are not going to listen to you, it is going to be better for us to obey God rather than you, they are going to kill them. Verse 38 says, So in the present, verse 38, what happens between verse 33 and verse 38? You have this guy come on the scene. His name is Gamaliel. Uh, If I say it wrong, I'm probably, I apologize. But Gamaliel, he's a teacher. He's, somebody that's one of them, and he actually brings some sense to this mob that is ready to kill the apostles. He gives examples of men that have raised up, that have created this kind of ruckus, this kind of riotous stir within the city, within the Jewish religion before. And then all of them, after their leader had been killed, the movement stopped. And then Gamaliel comes in in verse 38, and says this, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak In the name of Jesus and let them go. When they heard this, they were enraged. They wanted to kill them. Somebody talked some sense into them. They don't kill them, but they beat them and they release them. We have to know and understand that the faithful will experience suffering. For the apostles, it was a beating. For us, I don't know what that kind of suffering looks like, but I do believe that if we faithfully pursue Christ in the way that the Bible commands us and encourages us to, that we will experience some type of suffering. The next observation that we see from this text is the faithful rejoice in the midst of suffering. The faithful rejoice in the midst of suffering. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And that is the name of Jesus. When's the last time you ever suffered? Think about it. Maybe you've suffered from a sickness or suffered from the loss of a loved one, or suffered from some, anything that you can think of? Were you able to rejoice in the midst of that suffering? See, we walk through suffering from others. We walk through what I call natural suffering, where sickness, you think about Job. You know, did anybody suffer more than Job? What, what happened to Job? Job. The, the enemy came to God and accused him and said, well, no wonder Job, Job loves you so much. You won't even let me touch him. And then God says, okay, you can touch him, but you can do all these things, but you can't kill him. So he takes away his camels. He takes away all of his ability to have riches. He takes away his health. He takes away his children. Ten children are all killed in one fell swoop at a dinner party. Takes everything that he has Inflicts him with boils, inflicts him with illness. And in the midst of that, he learns this wonderful lesson. And he talks about that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. See, we learn from this text these men were just beaten for their faith. Now, it doesn't describe this type of beating, but we have an understanding from Jewish law. Most likely they were scourged 39 times. On the back were many times you couldn't even tell what was flesh and what was bone. We don't know, but... That would be the Jewish tradition, just like they flogged Jesus. But think about the beating that they took. It may have been something different, I don't know. But they suffered, and in the midst of that, it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing. Now, I I know that you don't think, I have a weird imagination, but I just think about them walking away, and they are saying, was that not just awesome? We stood up to those leaders and we told them that we're going to do what we want to do and we're going to follow God and not follow them. And they beat us and we're still alive and we're going to go back out and do it again, all within earshot of all those leaders. I just would love to see. I don't know if that's what happened. I have a, I get in my imagination. It's not biblical, I promise, but it could have happened. Uh, but it's just amazing to think that in earshot, those leaders who were trying to persecute and push down the message of jesus christ heard this group of men rejoicing over the fact that they were able to suffer the way christ suffered for to honor the name of christ isn't it a beautiful picture that when we have christ in our lives and he is in the right position that even in the midst of our darkest day we can rejoice Young adults, I don't know what you're walking through right now. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're suffering with. I don't know whether it's self-imposed suffering because of consequences that you've navigated yourself or it's suffering that you're walking through because of others coming against you or maybe it's sickness. I don't know. But on your darkest day, do you think that you can get to the place where you say the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but blessed be the name of the Lord. See, the faithful rejoice in the midst of suffering. And the sixth and final observation that we see from this text is this, the faithful remain resolute in the face of suffering. See, the faithful rejoice in the midst of suffering and the faithful remain resolute in the face of suffering. And all I'm trying to say there is this, that even in the midst of suffering, their conviction about the truthfulness and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ did not change. How do we know that? Look with me in verse 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They were just beaten and told stop teaching in the name of Jesus. They walked right out rejoicing. And it says the Bible says they did not cease. They did not cease teaching and preaching. That Christ is Jesus. The faithful remain resolute in the face of suffering. So we have these six observations from this text. The Holy Spirit will cap- the work of the Holy Spirit will captivate people. The Lord works miracles on behalf of the faithful. The faithful obey the Lord over the world. The faithful will experience suffering. The faithful rejoice in the midst of suffering. The faithful remain resolute. In the face of suffering. So, what is the lesson that we need to learn from this passage? See, we can walk through and we see these observations, but what is it for us? And this is what I believe that the Lord is trying to teach us tonight a bold faith in Christ will lead to suffering. A bold faith in Christ will lead to suffering. That's the lesson that we have from this passage of Scripture. A bold faith will. I didn't say if, I didn't say might, I didn't say maybe, but I said it will lead to suffering. Why is that? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verses 11 through 12 it says blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven for they for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you Matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 18 says behold I'm sending you and he's talking to the disciples As sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocents as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus was telling the apostles and the disciples to prepare for suffering. It wasn't the fact that there's a chance. It was a reality. And I believe that if we are in a place where we are going to have a bold faith like the apostles did, that we will experience suffering as well. How do we know that we will experience this suffering? Look at the apostles. Every one of the apostles died by martyrdom except for John. And John ended up on an island of Patmos in exile where he saw the vision of Revelation. Every one of them died for their faith. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified and he requested to be crucified upside down because he did not seem worthy to be crucified in the same manner of Christ. Paul was persecuted Look with me. Go to Acts chapter 9, if you will. Acts chapter 9. I want to show you this passage because I think it's interesting. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 15. This is the Lord speaking to Ananias. Ananias saw a vision from God, and Anani- he said, God, uh, Ananias said, God told Ananias, hey, I want you to go. I want you to go to Damascus. There's a guy that's going to be there. His name's Saul, and I want you to talk to him, and I want you to share him about me, share, share me about him, to him. <laughs> and this is what, what the Lord says. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument, talking about Saul, who had become Paul. He's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That he will suffer for my name's sake. Paul was chosen to be suffered. It talks about Paul being shipwrecked, Paul being beaten five times with the 39 leshes. He is stoned outside of Lystra, I believe. Stoned to the point they think that he is dead. And he wakes up and he gets up and he goes back to preaching. He was chosen to suffer for the name of Christ. I'm reminded of a story, of a true story of two missionaries to Ecuador. Many of you may have heard of it, but It's Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they really felt called to this tribe in Ecuador that had no gospel presence. Jim and three of his friends, they used an airplane to to try to reach this tribe they had not ever been connected with before. And they would try to to earn favor with this tribe by dropping supplies down into uh, the riverbank. One day they get brave enough and they land on the riverbank and they try to, to minister to this tribe and all four of those missionaries are killed. All of them. The most famous are Jim Elliott and uh, Nick Saint. Nick was the pilot. You can read their story. There's a movie made of, uh, called The uh, End of the Spear. It's an amazing story. They were trying to take the gospel to this nation, to this tribe. The story doesn't stop there. Elizabeth still feels convinced that God has called her to reach this tribe. So she goes back. And eventually they make contact with this tribe and it becomes peaceful. And the majority of this tribe today are all believers. In the midst of suffering, they lost their life. And in the midst of that horrible tragedy, if anybody had the the ability to give up, to quit, and say, I've given enough, God, it was Elizabeth Elliot. But she knew that the gospel was worth more than her life, and she wanted to see this people group come to Christ, and she went back. About 12 years ago, one of the sons of one of those missionaries, Tim Saint, came here with somebody that he called his grandfather, who happened to be one of the men who killed his father. And they give testimony of what Jesus Christ had done. See, when I talk about this idea that a bold, someone with bold faith will suffer, we have to begin to understand what is it that God is calling us to do. See, if we're going to learn this lesson, see, we're not in this, this context necessarily where you're going to be right out persecuted for your faith. Right? They're not throwing us in jail yet. Right, It may be coming, who knows. What we do know is that the church grows fastest in the midst of persecution. Does anybody know what the fastest growing church in the world is right now? Iran. Where it is completely illegal to be a Christian. And that is where one of the fastest growing churches in, Amer- in the world is. So, maybe suffering doesn't look like being killed by a tribe. Maybe suffering doesn't look like the beatings that the apostles took in Acts chapter 5. But what does suffering look like for us today? I don't know. And that's not my question tonight. My question is this. Is your faith bold enough that it's going to lead to suffering? And I want you to think about that. Is your faith bold enough that it will lead to suffering? See, what happened is this group of men, they believed so much in what the message that was given to them that they were proclaiming it, from the mountaintops as loud as they could, as often as they could, so that they could not hide. Their bold faith put them in the public eye so much so that the multitudes were gathering around them. They could not be ignored. That led to the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. That led to their persecution. That led to the stoning of Stephen. That led to families being killed. So sometimes I think that maybe we don't experience this type of suffering is because our faith is not as bold as it should be. What does it look like for us to have a bold faith in 2023? It doesn't look any different than it did in the first century. Where we go, our faith goes with us. Where we go, our faith goes with us. When you go into work, do they know you're a believer? When you hang out with your family, when you hang out with your friends, do they know you follow Jesus? Have you ever talked to your coworker about your faith? Well, you say, well, Ben, I can't can't talk about my faith at my work. That's a lie. That's a lie that the enemy is believing you. You might not be able to share the gospel at your work because that's breaking some type of law or some type of rule, but you can tell somebody your story, and your story should have Jesus all over it. Is your faith bold enough that it actually will lead to suffering? Could it be that... You are proclaiming Christ so much that you lose your job or a friend walks away from you. Now, understand, I'm not saying be rude, be ugly, be mean, be whatever. I'm just saying be bold. So that means when you talk to somebody, you tell them what it means to be a believer. You tell them, hey, there was this, Country redneck guy at church last night. He's from Saudi Daisy. And he was talking about being bold in my faith from this Acts book of Acts. And you just talk to him about what you did last night. I went to church last night. Why not? How simple is that? You start the conversation. So what did you do last night? Well, I did this, this, and this. Can I tell you what I did? Yeah, yeah. They just gave you an invitation to tell them all about your night. How... Hey, I was able to worship God. I was able to hear from God's Word. But Ben, what if they reject me? What? So what? See, maybe we don't suffer for our faith because our faith is not bold enough. That's the lesson that I want us to learn tonight. See, suffering is a part of our life as believers. There's a whole, it's called a theology of suffering whether it's suffering from the enemy, whether it's suffering from our own sins and our own consequences that we have to navigate and walk through. It's a part of who we are. Now you may say, I mean, that's not a very encouraging message. Oh, it is. What's the worst thing somebody could do to you because of your faith? What's the worst thing somebody could do to you because of your faith? I can't hear you. Kill you. Thank you, Joel. Kill you. That means Joel no longer exists. But he does exist, but where, where does he exist now? If you were to die today, Joel, where would you, what would you end up? Where would you end up? Heaven. Isn't that exciting? Now we would be sad, sort of, right? But we would be sad, but he would be happy. He'd be like, I'm out, guys. <laughs> right? Think about it. The worst thing that could happen for your faith is that you die, and that is life for us. You will be more alive the moment you die than ever before. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? So why not use this one life that God has given you to be bold? So bold that the world knows that you follow Christ. So bold that you, the whole world knows that you follow Christ and that you might somewhat experience suffering because of it. See, the lesson that we need to learn tonight is a bold faith will lead to suffering. And this is my prayer for myself tonight. Lord, may my faith be so bold that it will cause me to suffer. And I can't list all the ways of what suffering could look like for me, what it could look like for you. But I think it's clear from Scripture and clear from the words of Jesus That when we stand up for Christ, suffering will come. So adults, think about it. Tomorrow on your job, what does it look like for you to have a bold faith? Maybe you're here tonight and you don't have a bold faith because you have no faith. What does it look like for you to trust Jesus tonight? We're getting ready to close this service. And we're going to have some folks standing over by the garage door. And if you're here tonight and you need to say, Hey, Ben, I, I know that I have no faith. But I want to know what it means to have faith, the bold faith that the apostles had. I'll be right over here by the door. I would love to show you what it means to step into faith with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you know you're not as bold as you need to be with your faith, at your job, with your family, with your friends. And tonight you want to step into a new boldness in your faith. Now, I just encourage you, during this worship time, this reflection time, think about what you can do to be bold in your faith.